So I arrived at the Marriott in Philadelphia where this conference is being held. This is Hannah Knowles. She's a campaign reporter for The Post. A few weeks ago, she went to a conference hosted by this conservative group with some pretty divisive views. They're called Moms for Liberty. There's a real range of attendees. I mean, these are not just um, moms who are part of Moms for Liberty. There's also, um, you know, Republicans who are there volunteering because they just really like what this group is doing. There are also some dads there because they care about these issues as well. I'm really concerned with what's happening in schools. Um, It's not the government's children. It's our children as individuals. This is an insidious uh, teaching about critical race theory. It's as bad as anything that Germany ever came up with. And it's very similar. It's a propaganda. I also object to uh, telling some kids they're oppressed and telling other kids they're the oppressors. I object to that. I think that's um, indoctrination. Uh, I just don't feel it's an appropriate. This is America. This, nobody's being oppressed right now, in my opinion. All of these people united under this conservative, largely conservative rallying cry of um, parental rights and saying they generally want um, less teaching about uh, gender identity and sexual orientation and, and certain topics on race and want more um, input in what their, their kids are learning and doing at school. But their critics really ask, you know, parental rights for who, I think. And they would say that they are championing the priorities of a certain group of parents, you know, more conservative parents, um, often white parents, and not necessarily speaking to the concerns of, you know, for example, a, a person of color who wants more talk about race in their kids' schools. Moms for Liberty isn't new. It was started in 2021. And it was founded by two Florida mothers who had experience with school board politics. But what's notable now is that their message is really gaining traction. In some ways, this is a fringe group. They say they have about 100,000 members across 44 states. But GOP presidential candidates are giving this group their endorsement. Like this moment at their conference with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. That Moms for Liberty is coming under attack by the Attacked by the corporate media, protests out here in the streets. And so you could just tell, like, there was a massive amount of energy and a sense that this was, um, like, the fight for these people right now. And I actually, I talked to one person who said, like, this is my Iwo Jima. She, like, was talking about her dad's experience in World War II. And, like, this, this issue now is, like, my existential struggle. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Will Aremus. It's Tuesday, July 25th. Today, a portrait of Moms for Liberty, a group that's increasingly influencing the policies of the Republican Party, even as the organization was recently labeled an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hannah Knowles spoke with my colleague, Alahe Izadi. Alahe will take it from here. Hannah, I want to dive into more about what exactly this group, Moms for Liberty, is. So first, tell me, what do they believe? Moms for Liberty defines their mission very broadly, and they just say they're for, um, quote-unquote, parental rights, more parental involvement in what kids are doing in school and learning in school. The very first part of our mission statement says Moms for Liberty is dedicated to the to fighting for the survival of America. 
in practice, I think that their goals tend to align with conservatives. Our flag is recognized in the farthest corners of the world as a symbol of freedom and of liberty. But in recent years, that light is starting to dim. From massive government shutdowns due to COVID to mandates on our children, all the way down to local school boards shutting off mics from public input. They generally, um, their chapters are pushing for less teaching on sexual orientation, gender identity, um, certain topics around race. They've taken up all these issues that we now see being really animating forces in the GOP primary for president and other races. Yeah, like tell me a little bit more about some of the issues they have pushed and how and whether they've been able to, for example, shape legislation. So a lot of their activism takes the form of showing up to school board meetings and uh, focusing on issues like how, um, you know, race and LGBTQ issues are taught in schools, um, public health mandates. Barbara Abood, the chairwoman of Nassau's chapter of Moms for Liberty, says she and the 5,000 members on Long Island believe masks should be optional. It's really not their call. Our children are ours, and it's our decision what we wanted as parents, what we feel is best for them. Their momentum really started during the coronavirus pandemic, where there were these debates around um, mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And uh, it became very political, right, where you had um, mostly conservative parents saying, we we don't want to do this. Um, Public health authorities saying this is really important to slow the spread of coronavirus. And um, that that was kind of an igniting issue. And now they've it's really branched out into all these other um, kind of culture wars that play out in education. For example, removing books from libraries that um, in many cases talk about um, LGBTQ issues. The book Gender Queer was in our school libraries. Had Moms for Liberty not brought that book to your attention, it might still be there. Books with these horribly explicit graphic content are finding their way onto bookshelves in public schools all over America. My colleague Hannah Natanson did this really extensive analysis of the kinds of picture books that are being challenged around the country. And they are, um, you know, largely books that have, um, you know, gay characters or, or queer characters. Um, the, often the concern is framed as um, the sexualization of Children and some of these books are sexually explicit. That is a flashpoint. Um, but I think the concern is that, it, you know, do, do you just have like the fact that our, people are transgender, the fact that people are gay, um, you know, does not necessarily equate to sexualization. And I think pe- some people think that's a dangerous comparison to be making. And they've also come out against um, critical race theory, which um, is kind of a catch all term at this point for teaching about race and racism that conservatives think is excessive or misguided. It has a much more technical academic definition, um, but at this point, it's kind of come to mean something else. This idea that America is a racist country still, that America is a country that's rooted in racism. I think there are, you know, historical aspects of, you know, racism in America that that, that they don't dispute should be taught. Um, But the idea that um, of, of like racism being deeply rooted in our institutions is something that you've seen this growing backlash against on the right. Yeah. And Hannah, tell me a little bit more about some of the people you spoke to at this event. I talked to a lot of people at the summit about what they were really focused on at the local level, the chapter level. And they talked about everything from um, pushing successfully to uh, 
have classrooms only allowed to display American flags, and so that's often meant to prevent the display of pride flags. Uh, we have actually, we've had a, a lot of success at our school board, uh, mainly right now with the classroom display policies. Um, that's been our, our biggest win so far. And what is, it's I spoke with Abigail Prado, who was a chapter chair from North Carolina, and um, she at the local level had been working on um, this neutrality policy in classrooms where they can only display the American flag. And she said that was one of their big successes recently. American flag, a state flag, or flags that are appropriate to curriculum. For instance, in our school, we have dual language programs. So the Mandarin class is allowed to display materials from China. But you're not allowed to display political flags. Uh, ideological flag stuff like that. We don't think it's appropriate. Teachers shouldn't be representing their political ideas. Um, And we don't think that teachers need those sorts of things to have a safe space to make students feel included. And she heard about Moms for Liberty from um, Steve Bannon's show, which was really interesting to me and, and something that I heard repeatedly. People heard about it from a lot of times his, like, war room podcast. Um, And so, yeah, it was just interesting to see, like, how this was trickling out to people. There was also a lot of pushback to um, what they call critical race theory. So um, could I have you just kind of introduce yourself first? Like, you know, my name is and I'm from blah, blah, blah. My name's Lisa Garrity. I am... Lisa Garrity is a chair of a Moms for Liberty chapter in Maryland. And what did you know about them? I mean, what made you think this is a group I want to get involved Uh, with? Parental rights is their focus mm-hmm. and I am the parent of a 10th grader mm-hmm. right now and I'm in Maryland which um, is a very woke state and woke ideology permeates our school curriculum. And her concerns that she was raising about the schools there really ran the gamut. I mean she was concerned about um, race. What, what uh, one the thing they say one? is that we want um, to bring in teachers that look like all kids. You know, black teachers. We went to a majority black school, mm-hmm. um, so I guess they wanted maybe in that school they did get a, a black principal. So it's very important to the woke ideology people to have people that look like them. Of course, to me, it's racist. <laughs> you know, my ideology is Christian, <laughs> so that doesn't work for me. So I didn't like that. I'm not for that. Well, t- wait. So tell you. I'm tell merit me based. Tell me more about when you say my ideology is Christian. A meritocracy. Yeah. Would be good. one. Okay. So I would hire a teacher. I wouldn't even know what the color of their skin was when I looked at their res- resume. What have its critics said about Moms for Liberty, and how have they characterized this organization? Well, not long before this summit, the Southern Poverty Law Center a designated Moms for Liberty, an extremist group, which is a label that they reject. Their critics say that they are spreading messages that are fundamentally anti-inclusive, and and, and they would say hateful toward, um, you know, LGBTQ people, toward um, people with different identities. There are a number of examples that they'd point to that even conservatives would agree um, go really to some extremes. And so, for example, there was a um, Moms for Liberty that chapter, a local chapter that challenged like a picture book on um, Ruby Bridges, the civil rights icon who helped um, desegregate schools in the U.S. Um, and that uh, that complaint was rejected, right? Like that did not go anywhere, but it shows um, the, the, the level to which they are taking some of these complaints about, you know, in that case, the way that 
um, race is taught and really seeing any kind of specter as of race as, um, uh, you know, inappropriate. Another, you know, example that was in the news recently was a Moms for Liberty local chapter was criticized for um, quoting Hitler in their newsletter. And, you know, and they say they were, t- it's taken out of context. They weren't trying to endorse um, Hitler, but uh, the leaders of this organization ended up apologizing and saying, okay, like, you know, we, we just shouldn't be quoting Hitler in any context. And it was funny, though, because then I go to this summit, right? And the message there from, you know, speaker after speaker was like, no, actually, you should have stood your ground and don't cave to the woke you know, folks on the left who are trying to take issue with your every word and take you out of context, and actually, you did nothing wrong there. Because you quoted Hitler, you support Hitler. I guess every history book in America supports Hitler now. They all quote him. Moms for Liberty's response is that they feel like they've been really unfairly portrayed by their critics and by the media, and that their overall agenda um, is one that a lot of parents um, can get behind and and represents things that, you know, a lot of parents are um, concerned about. And and you see that, you know, in um, what the candidates are talking about. After the break, how GOP presidential candidates are aligning themselves with Moms for Liberty's rising star. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. So, yeah, GOP presidential candidates like Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, they were at this summit. They gave speeches. Hannah, how big of a deal was that that they showed up? And is that unusual? The fact that they were there spoke to the political power of this group, but also just the broader issue that they are taking on right now. I mean, this is just something that the candidates are talking about on the trail um, in a new way and with a new intensity. And I think that, honestly, the fact that Moms for Liberty has gotten this harsh criticism recently from the Southern Poverty Law Center, that's kind of a draw for these candidates because they've come to see criticism from those kinds of civil rights groups as like a badge of honor and and, and want to kind of dig into that. And so you saw Nikki Haley, for example, show up and just kind of um, embrace that. When they mentioned that this was a terrorist organization... This is the face of domestic terrorism, apparently. And I said, I said, well, then count me as a mom for liberty, because that's what I would do then. Also, I think just the power of this broader issue of, you know, what schools are teaching about, again, gender identity, um, sexual orientation and race, because we've seen just, I think, a dramatic increase on how focused um, Republicans are and how much they're talking about 
that. And you can tell when you go out and hear these candidates' stump speeches in other places, um, like some of the loudest applause that Trump is getting is when he talks about CRT and, and what he calls gender ideology. And so this is clearly really galvanizing for the base. Is there anything to them saying that, look, we're nonpartisan, uh, we, we aren't a Republican organization or aligned with GOP politics? Well, they did say that they invited President Biden to this summit as well. So, you know, again, I think that these are issues that certainly um, we've seen in some elections recently have appeal to um, independent voters, to some Democratic voters, um, but on the whole, um, that they are much more aligned with um, what Republicans are talking about when it comes to school policy. Mm-hmm. And is there any comparable group that could be considered to be coming from the left? There really isn't. And and that's something that um, liberal groups we talked to acknowledged and said, you know, that I think they want to push back on this stuff. And um, they're very passionate about these issues, too. But there just isn't a comparable um, organization at this point um, with that level of clout, in particular with Democratic politicians. And I'm also curious about how this group was able to spread so much. And it makes me wonder what what their funding is. Is it a grassroots? Do they have major backing? What do you know about the money that they have? We, we don't know everything. They're a type of nonprofit that doesn't have to disclose um, their donors. Moms for Liberty says they have a lot of smaller donors and they really talk about themselves as a kind of a grassroots organization. But they did say in their interview with my colleague that they have some larger donors as well who they didn't disclose. Um, and they are, you know, very connected to folks in Republican politics. So, so, you know, as much as they frame themselves as a nonpartisan organization, um, they're very aligned at this point with um, Republican priorities as well. Can you just put into perspective for us, like, are these opinions and views, are, are they viewed on the political extreme? I think they're actually quite mainstream now in the Republican party. Um, You know, take Ron DeSantis as an example. In Florida, he has championed legislation that restricts school discussions of, um, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity, um, bans them until fourth grade initially, restricts them to some extent after that. And then this year, his administration actually went much further and they expanded that ban on those kinds of um, topics in the classroom through high school, um, right? And so, I think you see this gaining uh, more and more traction um, in the GOP. At the same time, I was really struck by, um, you know, you you definitely saw the fringier elements of the GOP in in full force at this conference. And I had, you know, a lot of conversations with people who were just, um, you know, they they were saying conspiracy theories. I think you did um, see that a lot of the people who actually showed up at this event um, were um, quite extreme in their views. Hannah, as you walked away from this summit, what, you know, what was your takeaway? What, and as you look to the future of how this group is going to play out in politics and the issues that they're raising, what what question does it raise for you or what are you going to be looking at for the future? I think it's clear that this is um, one of the dominant, like, animating issues of the GOP primary And I've heard arguments both ways for how this plays in the general election. Republicans point to, like, Glenn Youngkin's 
victory in Virginia, this purple state in 2021. Um, you know, he, he really leaned into these issues and they think it um, worked out pretty well with like swing voters. But um, Democrats certainly think that Republicans have overplayed their hands now on these issues, especially they point to Ron DeSantis as an example of that. And so I think the jury's kind of out on on which side, um, you know, can capitalize on this in the, the general. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Hannah Knowles is a campaign reporter for The Post. She spoke to my colleague, Alahe Azadi. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnik. It was edited by Rena Flores and mixed by Sean Carter. Thanks to Dan Egan. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The Seven. The podcast is hosted by my colleague, Jeff Pierre, and he brings you through the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Will Aremus. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters? And why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. Available now.